the most important question that we all should ask ourselves is why do you need to write the grant? If, if you truly need that money to protect your time, then yes, you need to get that money. But I think a lot of times the lines blur between writing grants and getting funding to check a box to show growth and trajectory of the success versus actually needing that amount of money to do the science. And I think it's easier to get funding from industry or health systems and other uh, resources because federal grants are so competitive and there's uh, so many, so much of good science happening. When saving lives is what you do, your standards are anything but standard. In fact, you set them higher than most to deliver results that patients can depend on. You refuse to compromise. We couldn't agree more. We are Edwards Life Sciences, and like you, we believe that good is never good enough. Rising to the challenge of today's TAVR patients isn't just a mission, it's a commitment. And because you set a higher standard, we set our sights on meeting you there. Welcome to the higher standard, your standard. Learn more at edwardstaver.com. You're listening to Parallax from Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. Here is your host, Ankur Kalra, MD from the Cleveland Clinic. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Parallax. Um, this episode is, you know, on the cusp of Diwali. So, you know, for anyone and everyone who's listening, wishing everyone a very happy Diwali. Um, if this gets released post Diwali, you know, the wishes uh, are still true. And, uh, you know, from the from the bottom of my heart. Um, so with that, um, I'm going to get started on introducing the guest for today's show. So this guest, um, we share a very special bond. Um, I've known him for over a decade, actually. Um, I would say on the cusp of about 14 years. Um, we first met each other back in New Delhi in India when I was a house officer at the All India Institute of Medical Sciences. So that would be an intern uh, in, in U.S. language or, or lingo. And um, this gentleman, this fine gentleman, was my medical student. And um, little did we know that, you know, after 14, almost 14 years, we would be, um, you know, sitting next to each other and uh, having a conversation on Parallax. So without much further ado, my guest for today's show is Dr. Pandey. Ambrish Pandey is a cardiologist and assistant professor of medicine at uh, University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. So that's a premier academic medical center and institution for not only cardiovascular medicine, but many other specialties and facets within medicine. And Ambrish has had tremendous success in um, developing a career as a clinician, physician, investigator. He has tapped very successfully into a multitude of society databases um, and has consistently featured in many young investigator awards. And, um, um, you know, I believe is now um, a funded investigator. So Ambrish, uh, welcome on the show and thank you so much for doing this. I am so happy and I'm so pleased to have you as a guest on Parallax today. 
Thanks, Anko. Thanks for the kind introduction. It indeed is uh, a nice, uh, I guess, reminiscing all the way back to our days in Ames, New Delhi, when I was uh, a medical student and you were a busy, busy house staff on the medicine service. So it's kind of nice to uh, think back down the memory lane and, and now be talking about our careers and our path in the last 10 to 14 years. So thank you so much for having me on this platform. The honor is all mine to be able to uh, talk here about my journey so far and share some of the interesting aspects of my journey and hopefully provide some, uh, I guess, insights into how we can navigate a successful academic career for young investigators like myself, particularly those coming from India and other countries and trying to find their footing in the United States uh, academic milieu. Uh, great. So, so Amrish, um, just let's let's just jump right in. So, medical school from you know the the best medical school in India, the All India Institute of Medical Sciences in Delhi, and then um, when did you decide that you wanted to have a career or you know at least contemplate a career uh, as a physician in the United States? Yeah, I think uh, I was lucky uh, to be one of the few who got into. Ames as a 17-year-old, uh, I guess, uh, just graduating from high school. And after the euphoria of getting into medical school settled down, and that was around the first whole first year of med school, around second year when I started getting uh, into this, uh, the thick of things with uh, the clinical rotations and pathology and pharmacology and other subjects, I did start thinking that I really like research and uh, the, the discovery aspect of medicine. And that's when I started thinking that maybe the best place for me to pursue further in my career would be in United States. And I was, uh, again, lucky to get a, a away rotation as a third-year medical student at Johns Hopkins. And I spent two months in a basic science lab in cardiology at Johns Hopkins. And that was uh, pretty much when I loved what I did for those two months and was fairly certain that I would uh, want to pursue my further training after med school in United States. And then I, I started uh, making sure that get the, all the steps and other things in order, do away rotations, and then pursue the path forward for residency training here. Excellent. So, so residency was where? Was it at UT Southwestern? Yeah, so I came here uh, actually before residency. I did a two-year postdoctoral fellowship at uh, Howard Medical School in a, a nanomedicine lab uh, with Dr. Shilajit Sen Gupta. And then during that time, I applied for residency uh, for internal medicine and uh, again was lucky to get into UT Southwestern Medical Center for internal medicine residency and have stayed here since then for fellowship training, master's, and now as faculty. So yeah, residency did uh, happen at UT Southwestern and so did subsequent trainings. Um, so, I mean, UT Southwestern Medical Center internal medicine residency is is arguably the best, has been voted in the past as the best internal medicine residency training program. And, um, you know, I'm sure they were happy to retain you as a cardiovascular disease fellow now, you know, your, your postdoc years at Harvard Medical School and, you know, even, you know, coming back to medical school days when you visited Johns Hopkins at two months, you know, for two months, tell us or describe to us um, the, the rubric of research that you were involved in, because, you know, what you do now 
is, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, and you, maybe it's on the translational aspect, but it's mostly on, on the outcomes aspect, uh, as I've seen your work, and a lot of it is, uh, you know, garnering new information, novel information and data from society databases. Um, but, you know, tell us about dabbling into basic research as a medical student. And, you know, tell us about, you know, nanomedicine research as a postdoc and how those experiences transformed into some of the thought processes you may utilize in conducting the, re- the kind of research that you do nowadays. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, and it does uh, actually take my mind back to when I was applying for uh, research electives at uh, different uh, institutions in the United States as a third year medical student. At that time, I knew I wanted to do cardiology and nothing beyond that, mostly due to lack of experience with the field, including research. And I was lucky to get into a, a lab that did mostly basic science. And I did uh, two months uh, on novel uh, stent uh, platforms that were drug eluting stents. And, and that time, drug eluting stents, this was 2005, were pretty much a, a becoming standard of care for uh, interventions. And I, I was lucky to be involved in the lab that was at the cutting edge of that research. And then when I spent two years there, I really enjoyed basic science and I really enjoyed the lab work. Obviously, two months is not enough to get anything meaningful other than a good experience. So that experience prompted me to take more time and develop a little bit more of my basic science skills. So I applied for a postdoctoral fellowship after medical school and got into uh, the lab of Shiladit Singh Gupta, who was a very up and coming, bright young investigator uh, who had a nature paper as a postdoc and was really excited about the work he was doing. And I was just happy that I had someone like him as a mentor at that time. And I did a, his, his lab was fairly uh, broad focused. He did uh, work on tumor vasculature and tumor drug delivery and targeting uh, uh, nanomedicine formulations of drugs into uh, tumor, tumor tissue. While my interest was mostly vascular biology and, and cardiovascular diseases, the interface of uh, studying uh, how tumor vasculature works was exciting. And we did do some really good work there on uh, angiogenesis and tumor cells and things like that. And during that time when I was uh, in his lab, I actually presented a paper uh, during our journal club from science, which was looking at uh, vascular and uh, cardiac regeneration in mice, like neonatal mice right after birth. And that was uh, that study was one of the best studies that I had come across at that time and was done by an investigator, a cardiologist at UT Southwestern. So when I, I spent like a month preparing for the journal club and I got so excited by all that was done, like cutting out the apex of the heart in the mice and all that seemed so cool in terms of just doing such research. And I was like, this this is the place to train. This is the place where I can really learn a lot more about cardiac regeneration. And so UT Southwestern was on my radar after that. And I actually came to UT Southwestern to do basic science. And my goal was to work with Hashem Sadek, who was one of the uh, best in the field of cardiac regeneration. And uh, I guess it was destiny that when I came to UD Southwestern as an intern, I spent five months in the ICU, but with some fantastic clinical cardiologists and clinical researchers like James Salimus, Dan McGuire, Jared Berry, who were all leading investigators and were doing some really cool epidemiological research, outcomes research. And intern year was so busy that I never really got time to spend any day in the lab. And just the mentorship that I got and the exposure that I got just naturally had me gravitate towards clinical research and epidemiological research on uh, cardiovascular diseases. And the strength of UT Southwestern was Dallas Heart Study. 
And that's where I really learned my bearings of clinical research and got exposed to it. And then I liked it so much that it just evolved further and further into more database-based work and understanding novel uh, epiphenomenon and uh, novel ways to understand disease epidemiology using large data sets. Yes, I mean, some of the work that, that you've done is is truly fascinating and has found its its home in, you know, some of the leading cardiovascular medicine journals. And um, before I, you know, sort of get into the, the specifics of, of the kind of work that you've done over the past, over the recent, you know, past few years, tell me um, a bit more about the importance of I think one is identifying your true passion in research because, and I, I particularly asked this question for, uh, you know, medical students, also house officers, residents, fellows in training, also early career, because, you know, I think it, it takes a, it takes a while for you to truly find a, what you're passionate about and B what you're good at. And I think, a combination of what you're passionate about and what you're good at is what determines, uh, you know, I think continued um, success and, and productivity and, and also a consistency uh, because otherwise, I mean, I see a lot of peaks and troughs in the careers of many, you know, physician investigators and someone like yourself who's been consistent for so many years for so long, there's got to be a passion and B you know, you, you have to be good at what you do because you do it so well and so consistently. So for, for you, how did you find that niche of, you know, epidemiology and database-driven research? I think that is, is, is a crucial question, at least. I mean, the fact that I asked this question, I, I, you know, I think it's, it's crucial for me as a, you know, as a colleague, a physician investigator of yours, but also, I think for many, many who are listening, because, you know, I think that's a vexing question many of us have. No, I think, I think that that's the exact same question that I, that I was uh, dealing with at uh, different stages. And I think it's, it's something that evolves over time. And I was first, I would say I was extremely fortunate to land in a place where there was opportunity to uh, to follow a lot of uh, what I wanted to do because there's oppor- uh, good infrastructure with database work and great support in form of uh, mentors and statistical opportunities and things like that. So uh, just uh, acknowledging the, the opportunities that I got, uh, I think it's important to realize uh, for me per se, I would say I am more of a curious researcher and a lot of my work is driven by curiosity and problem solving. My passion is fairly broad. And in terms of disease process, I would say I'm really interested in heart failure, but that's a very broad, uh, broad, uh, I guess, uh, focus. And I would say around that, I love to solve problems that uh, exist in different domains from prevention to outcomes to uh, how do you remove, uh, how do you alleviate disparities? And the curiosity is what has kept me going and helped me find uh, new avenues to find solutions to different problems that exist and develop best possible ways to answer questions. And in the process, the curiosity also keeps me honest because if something doesn't work, it doesn't deter me too much. Or if, if, if a project fails, I move on to the next question or the next important problem to solve. And I guess in a, in a way, it, 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 it keeps me honest and it keeps me motivated to keep solving problems rather than 
delve too much onto one success or one failure. So I think that that has been something that I would say was uh, helpful in many ways, though not conventional in form of what you hear about other researchers where most work is driven by passion, not curiosity. But in my case, I would say it was more of curiosity. And then passion was more broader and more clinical work around heart failure. And then finding the questions that you want to answer uh, just worked out in that way. And I think it evolves over time and you have to be pragmatic. You have to adjust yourself to available opportunities. If you may be really interested in randomized controlled trial, but as an early care investigator or as a trainee, it's almost impossible to do a meaningful RCT that will answer a question in a way it should. So I think you have to be pragmatic and you have to also tailor your uh, efforts towards the available opportunities and then find the best uh, outcome from there and then build on it. And I think it's a marathon and I think you can build your career in blocks instead of in one stretch. And I think uh, as long as all your work and your efforts are directed towards one larger goal, I think it all is justified and it all works out. And having that in mind, I think not aiming too high, but also making sure that every question that you answer or every project that you do takes you a little closer to the big prize or the big goal that you have in mind, I think helps a lot. Uh, I hope that that makes sense. Yeah, no, it um, it does. And, you know, thank you for answering that question. So honestly, um, there is something you said there, which, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, if, if you're aware how, how much of a gem uh, um, that pearl was, at least for me. And, you know, that is, um, you know, you mentioned success and failure and not being too attached to it. And, you know, I think for me, success is moving from one failure to the other with the same level of enthusiasm. And um, I think that's, that, that's sort of the message that I got from what you said, you know, when you made comments on, on both successes and failures and having the curiosity to move from one project to the other, even if one project fails, you know, that is so, that is so crucial. That is such a gem that is so relevant. Um, and that's sort of been my approach. I mean, you know, as you were describing it, I was sort of thinking about what you were saying, because, you know, if, if someone were to look at my body of work, it's, again, it's broad based, it's got patterns and themes to it, but, but there isn't a particular, you know, topic that you would attribute me to. I mean, you, you probably would have seen that I've published on a myriad of topics. Um, but, you know, like yourself, what, what's motivated each of those projects is just curiosity uh, to um, find more about the truth, you know, behind the question that you've asked. And, um, you know, also, you know, having the ability to move from one failure to the other with the same level of enthusiasm you know, is what truly, I think, makes you, um, you know, a good clinician, physician, investigator, in my opinion. And that's the reason why you've been so successful repeatedly and consistently over the years as I've seen your career progress and flourish. Um, so Amrish, uh, tell us, so now getting into the project specifics, and I, I really want to highlight, use this opportunity to highlight the the various, you know, awards that you've won at the early career stage, I mean, you've sort of hit pretty much all the young investigator award categories that I'm aware of. Um, and I, I really want to use this platform as a learning 
opportunity and an experience for those who are listening who are in the same um, boat in terms of how they how they want to develop their career as a physician, clinician, investigator, and sort of look up to early career folks like yourself, uh, you know, who've done so well. So tell us more about those opportunities and, and also tell us about the specifics about some of the awards that you won. Yeah, I think, I think that's, a, that's an important aspect of, uh, of my career so far. I think a lot of the opportunities I was just, uh, I think, uh, lucky to have the right network and the right connections through my mentors and collaborators. And I think a lot of, uh, I would say big picture, how I look at anything is it starts with a question. And if I have a question in mind, and I think it's an important question to answer, it is something that I'm curious about, but it also affects patient care or the way we think about the disease process then I kind of lay out a map of what is missing or what do we need to answer this question. And as I think through it, I look for the key personnel or the key programs that have had success in answering questions around this specific uh, topic or uh, have expertise and, and the resources that can be helpful. And, and then you identify the key players or the key part- partners and then you reach out to them. And at this stage, I think uh, with the, uh, the way the world is connected, particularly cardiology, it's, it's not hard to reach out and, and find collaborators who are like-minded and uh, driven to answer similar questions. And then once you have a sort of a team and access to resources, then you just uh, pursue your uh, the, the problem solving, leveraging those resources. And, and then if uh, it works out, then you have an answer or at least uh, some of, or you have more questions that need to be answered with more work. So I think that's kind of the big picture approach I take to answering these questions. I've been, I think the awards are not as, I guess in my mind, they're not as relevant as outcomes. They are more like byproducts. And the way it, I look at it is if, if there's a conference or there's an award competition happening, it gives me a timeline of sort and it, it, it keeps me on track for getting things done before that uh, presentation or that competition happens. So I, I use it as something to uh, introduce more structure in my approach and something to keep me on a timeline and a track. And if uh, people find the award, uh, if people find the work interesting, at least to some fruitful outcome, which I think the the knowledge is more relevant than the award itself. And I will say that it may seem, if you look at my profile, that I've won a lot of awards but I've also failed a lot and I've failed more than I've won. And that is always true. And for me, I I will emphasize this for all young investigators that success is absolute and success is personal. You should never look at success in relative terms that, oh, I haven't won as much as I've applied for or my strike rate is lower, things like that. Because the more you apply, the more you try, the more you get, get out of it. But I think you have to count and value the victories as absolute victories and not as, oh, this came after 10 efforts or I was rejected for 10 other journals or competitions before I got this one. And I think that is something that keeps me going is I I value the victory as an absolute on a personal level because there's always going to be some other investigator, some other program or some other better data set which you could have used and you couldn't get access to. But I think as long as you keep it more personal and more absolute, I think it, it helps you be motivated for the next question and, and keep doing better and better work. Yeah, no, excellent answer. And I think, you know, just to drive home the point that I made earlier, and that was, you know, that, you know, success to me at least is moving from one failure to the other. 
with with the same level of enthusiasm and uh, you know i've i i agree with you i mean I, i've you know personally i've applied for so many of the awards which i haven't received and um uh, you know it's uh it's it's a long drawn out application process as you're aware um you know many of these um you know young investigator and early career awards have lengthy applications and um you know you even your letter writers uh, do a terrific job in, in putting together letters and um, you sort of have a compendium of documents to collect and organize and submit so it takes a lot of effort um i really liked your point on the fact that it keeps you honest in terms of uh, getting the projects moving uh, i you know i i do think that having um a, a timeline of sorts is crucial to getting projects done in a timely fashion. So I think, um, like you said, you know, I, I really like the approach of considering an award um, as a catalyst for getting your projects done in a timely fashion. Now, whether or not you, begin, you, you actually win the award is, is truly is a byproduct as long as you're getting the work done and getting the work out there, which is going to benefit, you know, both physicians and physicians and patients alike. You know, I, I think if, if that is the motivation and that is the goal, and that's the mission, then, you know, everything else that happens is, is a byproduct, as you mentioned. Um, so Amrish, um, excellent answers. And let's move uh, to um, your, you know, foray into applying for RO1 um, and, um, you know, federal funding and, and tell us more about the process. Um, Again, uh, you know, for someone who was introduced to the process early on, I think it's um, it could be a game changer, you know, for, for some of us who, um, you know, have had clinical careers, you know, because of what we do within cardiovascular medicine, uh, you know, particularly, you know, procedural fields like interventional cardiology or electrophysiology, um, you know, early career may not um, actually support you becoming a federally funded investigator because, you know, you want to use your time as an early career interventionalist or electrophysiologist in honing your skills in the cath lab. So I'm not sure about that many federally funded uh, interventionalists, but, and correct me if I'm wrong, and, you know, please introduce all of us to the process of applying for federal funding. But what, what, so what uh, were some of the early steps you took uh, to be successful in this direction? Uh, what were some of the seeds that were sown early on in your career that led you to this path? Uh, what were some of the hurdles that you encountered? And how much of a, you know, how much of a process this truly is in terms of how arduous it is? Uh, because I think it's it's a deterrent to a lot of people who want to at least, you know, put pen on paper and want to at least start writing for a grant application. But so many are intimidated by the process. And obviously a lot of us do not have the mentorship. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think, I think that's a very important step in development of any academic physician scientist is obtaining funding to do what you want to do. And I, I always tell my mentees and my colleagues that somehow research and academic setting is so structured that you have to take care of everything you need from mentorship finding collaborators, finding money, and then finding time, using the money to fund that time, 
and then still doing work at home away from family so that you can keep writing grants to get the money to fund the time to do the work it's, it's just a vicious cycle and i i have taken a slightly different approach towards uh, academic medicine and towards research and for me early on when i was graduating from my fellowship i asked some tough questions for myself i was like why am i doing this this is going to take a lot of time uh, a lot of my time away from patients away from family and what is in it for me that makes it worth it and i realized that for me it's is the questions and it's the problem solving and it's the community aspect of research where you work with like-minded investigators like-minded trainees and ability to connect with uh, trainees and like-minded collaborators and discuss uh, scientific problems. That is the most rewarding aspect of my uh, academic medicine or research. And so I wanted to make sure that I enjoy that process. I have enough time to develop a project. I have enough time to interact with collaborators and trainees and, and just enjoy the process rather than just move from writing one grant to another to another and funding for fund and keeping the ship afloat uh, uh, for for research. And I, I realized, and, and a lot of it uh, was because of the mentorship and guidance I received from my mentors like James Lemos, who never wrote an R01 grant, but has been one of the most successful investigators that I know of. And he told me that it doesn't matter how you fund your science. As long as the science is good, the question is important, people will value the work you did. No one ever is going to ask you after reading your paper, by the way, what funded that paper? So he he told me that, and and I kind of liked his philosophy that try to be judicious about the amount of time you spend writing grant versus doing the science or actual work that you find so rewarding. And so that's what I, that's the approach I took. For me, it doesn't matter where the money comes from. If a health system is interested in investing X amount of dollars in developing uh, novel approaches to predicting heart failure and preventing heart failure, and that's what uh, is uh, exciting to me, I would take that opportunity and do that work. And similarly, if an industry funding is coming to do a specific question that I'm interested in, I would take that opportunity and take the money. And it keeps me have a more flexible schedule, do uh, control my time better, and also answer the questions I want to answer. So a lot of my work initially, right after fellowship, was funded by health system startup grant and then uh, some industry grants. And then over first two years, I started... Uh, uh, developing interest in questions that are not as lucrative for health systems or, or, or industry. And that's where I needed uh, support from federal grants. And then I wrote a, a grant on, uh, I think, uh, racial differences in fitness decline that got funded as a Gemstar Award from the National Institute on Aging. And so it was a career development RO3 uh, that I got and that's still active till end of this year. And that was my first federal funding. And then I'm now working on writing RO1s. And I think the most important the most important question that we all should ask ourselves is why do you need to write the grant? If, if you truly need that money to protect your time, then yes, you need to get that money. But I think a lot of times the lines blur between writing grants and getting funding to check a box to show growth and trajectory of the success versus actually needing that amount of money to do the science. And I think it's easier to get funding from industry or health systems and other uh, resources because Federal grants are so competitive, and there's uh, so many, so much of good science happening. It is becoming harder and harder to get those federal grants. So I think as long as you can get your work done by society, foundation, money, or whatever, I think go for that. Try to uh, try to always come back to the question: like, what is keeping you up at night doing research? And I think as long as you can answer that, it doesn't matter where the money comes from, as long as 
able to do what you need to do to answer the question. Yeah, no, I, I really liked how honest your answer was. You know, that is something which, um, you know, as I've dabbled into research and as I've, you know, checked several boxes in terms of, you know, get, getting money through philanthropy or getting money through industry or getting money through institution, all of which, you know, I mean, these are all the resources that I've used for getting research done. The one box that I haven't checked is is federal funding. And, you know, quite frankly, I have not had the mentorship early on in my career to write federal grants. And, you know, I know there's a certain pathway for writing R01s and I have not had the opportunity to do that. And obviously uh, there have been some other logistical issues, you know, surrounding, you know, applying for federal funding. But I, I think the one answer which you, you know, you gave, which truly resonated with me and I think should be the take home for listenership and everyone else who's tuning in to listen is, uh, you know, just focusing on getting the science done and focusing on answering the question that you asked. And, you know, as long as your science is relevant, as long as your question is relevant, as long as uh, the motivations behind asking that question are relevant uh, and it moves the field in the right direction and moves it forward. I think I agree with you. I mean, I think where the money came from is going to be secondary. It's not going to be as relevant as the science itself. So I think, you know, the, the kind of work you do and the, uh, the amount of effort you put into getting that work done and the, um, you know, the, the quality of work in terms of the, the veracity of the data, uh, I think all of those are extremely important questions and much more important than getting your study federally funded. Um, so thank you for that. That was, that was a very honest answer. That was a very, um, um, I think, important um, answer that you gave. Uh, you know, I think personally for me, and I'm sure it, it may be um, true for many others who are listening. Um, so Ambrish, what's next in the horizon for you? I mean, I, I think... You know, for someone who is early career and, you know, maybe transitioning from early to mid-career um, and for someone who's who's been so successful in early career, um, I, my, the, the, this question has two parts to it. You know, the first part is what's next for you on the horizon? And then second, what are some of the tips you would like to share with others in early career who want to emulate your success? Yeah, I think uh, what's next in my career is something that I think a lot about these days. And I'm kind of at the cusp where I'm trying to transition or I am transitioning from this early career phase to more mid-career phase. And last three years as a faculty have been extremely busy and obviously surviving the the COVID pandemic times and, and the changes that it brought into our lives have also made me think uh, through the priorities and what I want to do and how I want my next few years to be. And I think I am actually trying to answer that question for myself. I do know one thing I do want is everything I do has to be better than what I did before and has to be more impactful, has to help more with patient care or have create more knowledge and more information. So I do want to keep pushing the envelope in terms of the questions that I answer. So I, that, does mean moving myself from predominantly database or epidemiology focused work to more implementation work or patient-based research, prospective work, 
that is actually testing questions in a pragmatic but real world setting where you try to answer different questions that help improve patient care. So that's something that I've been thinking about. And obviously pro projects of that magnitude require more funding, more support. So finding time and, and uh, avenues to get those resources has been on my mind. And just uh, also understanding how to better balance work and life. And I think finding a bit, I, I'll be honest, I've not done a great job with finding the optimal work-life balance and it has had its toll and it has, um, I, I have missed out on many things uh, in family, have not had time to travel back to India. And I think uh, all that uh, bothers me and all that I want to fix in the next phase, the next few years of my career. And I think just finding that better balance but not losing the impact or in actually increasing the impact of the work that I do, which may mean being more selective with the work I do and just being more, uh, I think, more thoughtful about the things I invest in uh, intellectually and with my time uh, moving forward is something that I'm working on. And the second question was uh, regarding some tips for the early career investigators i think it's 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 hard I, I, if, if someone asked me oh would you do anything differently i would say yeah a lot of things i would have done differently in the last five years and uh, maybe that may have meant uh, a very different productivity profile but also it would have meant better work-life balance i would say think and think hard about what's important and what's important and then and focus on it that you have it, it's not it's, you're not defined by papers you publish you're not defined just by the academic profile you have life outside it so i think prioritize things there as much as you prioritize your work and that is i think something i, I want to do more for myself and i would say early care investigators should uh, hopefully consider that more as they plan their careers and then i think other thing is saying yes to too many things. I think I am guilty of saying yes to too many things and taking on opportunities and taking on uh, roles that were given to me just because I wanted to be a doer and a finisher and wanted to get everything done. And now I think back and I often look back at my like bibliography or when I'm preparing my NIH biosketch, and I'm like, I could have done without these 20 papers that I spent probably weeks on. And uh, they didn't really add much, but at that time you don't have that foresight or, uh, and I think you end up doing things that uh, in retrospect could have been more of a time sink than the reward that they gave you in terms of the work. So I think prioritizing better and being more judicious in saying yes and being okay with saying no, even to your mentors, your sponsors, to any society for things that you may think is taking more time than the reward it is for you. And I think those are the things that I would do myself differently and I think in the, when we are uh, in the thick of things, we often lose sight of, oh, it may be a lot more time than I think it is, but at the end, it eventually ends up being a lot more time than uh, the reward you get out of it. So I think just being more judicious about what you say yes to and what uh, you sign up for is important. And that means uh, taking on roles that you're not compensated for in societies and elsewhere. I think that's also an important consideration too. Uh, to have is is it meaningfully advancing your career? Is it worth your time? And I think just thinking uh, a little more than just oh, it's a good opportunity. Let's do it. Kind of an attitude which a lot of us, particularly those coming from outside, have, and because we just want to get the work done. Yes, I, I can't tell you how much those answers have resonated with me uh, because you know I've sort of um, been on the same boat. It's, it's, it just seems like that, you know, the two of us have been on the same boat. It's just that we've, 
been riding on parallel boats, but haven't shared a boat yet. And I, I hope that changes. Uh, but I agree with you. You know, I think um, just saying yes to every opportunity that comes our way um, is, is I think, just um, a second nature for a lot of the foreign graduates who come in and want to make a mark and, you know, prove, I think, more to themselves than to anyone else, quite frankly. I mean, you know, having uh, gone through the process, uh, you know, through all these years and now looking back, uh, I think it's just, uh, you know, that yearning of making a mark and proving it to yourself more than anyone else. Um, so it's just internal validation and external validation that you're worth it, that you can do it, that, uh, you know, you've earned it and, and you've, you've come this far and you sort of want to, you know, just like you said, you know, be a finisher, be a doer, you know, keep your head down and keep working. Um but I, I, I think I agree. It, you know, all of these things take a toll, uh, you know, on work-life balance, personal life, family life, time you, you know, spent with your kids. Uh, all of that is important, right? I mean, I was reading a quote that you're replaceable at work, but you're not replaceable at home. So I think um, you have to take life outside of work, um, you know, equally seriously, um, in, in my opinion. And thank you for sharing that for sharing that so so beautifully and with with a lot of honesty and humility and candor. Uh, you know, it's it's really appreciated and, and well taken. Um, any closing remarks, Ambrish? This has been a fascinating talk. Uh, it's been great getting to you know touch base with you and, and spend this time with you. Um, so um, yeah, any any closing remarks for our listenership for Parallax for um, for the for the greater audience no I, th- I think this has been a a great 40 minutes for me as well just uh just knowing that how a lot of us share the same rye it's just we do it not knowing there are other fellow companions on different boats right next to you and i think just connecting more and networking and and just uh, uh just doing work together can make the ride a lot more enjoyable and a lot more fun so i think that this is really important for early career investigators and you're not meant to solve any problem alone. And we, we're not meant to cure heart disease alone. We're not meant to even do anything alone. So just try to find the right people to work with. Try to develop your group, develop your cohort of people that you enjoy working with that make the right fun because you may or may not get the desired outcome from any any uh, exercise, any research project. But I think the ride has to be worth it because even if the outcome is great, but you had a lot of stress just getting it done, it, it's not ideal. And I think you want the ride to be enjoyable regardless of the outcome. So I think finding the right uh, company and the right collaborations and the right group of people that you closely work with is, is really, really important. And I was blessed to have that. I was blessed to have uh, colleagues and collaborators and mentors and trainees who have been the biggest source of reward for me. And I think it's, it's, it's that which has been more important for me than all the, uh, the awards and uh, the papers which are there. But I think it's the process that was so much more worth it that I, I think I, I still remember when I think back of not the rewards and not the awards that, that, that may have come as byproducts. So I think that uh, aspect is important. And then I, I can't emphasize enough finding the right work-life balance and finding your priorities into how much time you want to invest in things that keep you away from family is key. As you mentioned, you are replaceable at work, but you don't want to become replaceable at home either. 
because that's the worst. So if you're irreplaceable, enjoy it and, and make sure that you maintain that status by investing more time with family, with your kids. And I think that that is key. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more, Ambrish. Thank you so much for this and congratulations to you on all your successes. And, you know, hopefully we can get to work on a project um, together soon. I know we've been talking about this for years now, but haven't really had a chance to work on on a project together. But I, I hope that changes in 2022. I hope so too. And I think, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, have this dialogue on your amazing platform. I've followed it for years and I've always been inspired by the people you have had uh, conversations with and have learned a lot from their experiences. So I hope some of what we had discussions about helps uh, other listeners who may be in the same, uh, I guess, maybe going through the same process as we have. And I hope uh, this, this, uh, is informative for them so thank you again and all the best to you for all your future endeavors as well and you've been a total maverick in terms of innovation and doing multiple things so i continue to be inspired by your work so and i look forward to collaborating with you as well on hopefully more than just research but actually making uh, uh, more of a dent than just in the academic space yeah no thanks a lot thank you Ambrish. Uh, really appreciate your words and we'll we'll stay in touch Thank you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. We aim to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology every second week. Review us on your favourite podcast app or send your comments or questions to podcast at radcliffe-group.com. To view the series, head to radcliffecardiology.com forward slash podcasts forward slash parallax. Thanks for listening.